We got sued after three weeks of being in business and we nearly went bankrupt. But go to these guys because they had our back. So we got all that business for free to finalize an amount. And we got him down to 10,000. And from we, 300k to 10k. Yeah. Can you go into the details course, around yeah. what it was? Is, it, is that fine to disclose? It's a great story, actually. Okay, yeah. yeah. Welcome to the Young Leader Podcast. We'll be showcasing the very best business owners and thought leaders within the YP Club. We'll be delving deep into strategies on how to scale your business, the things they don't tell you about their industries, and the struggles of scaling a business right here in the Middle East. When we've discussed before, right, I know that you're kind of like a serial entrepreneur in terms of you're in a load of different things. And it's something I think a lot of people can aspire to because I know you run the gyms, you have the insurance company. So if I take the gyms firstly, then how did that come about? Were you kind of part of the leading team that founded that? And then I guess the journey just in the beginning, just to understand mm. how that came about, how you identified it was there a gap in the market. Did you acquire it? What happened? I guess, you know, I don't really specialize. And I, and I know you, you look at YouTube and all these people like specialize, specialize, don't generalize. You know, mm -hmm. I'm the most generalist person. I mean, I've, I'm in different industries like ice cream shop. I have an ice cream shop, but I also have <laughs> I nine. I actually know that either. I, I actually, but I have nine gyms. Yeah. So like, how does that, how does that go about? It's just for me, I find that all business fundamentals are the same, you know, uh, and where it all, I guess, started. And what I loved about the gym industry, I was actually going to get into franchising, fast food franchising, mm -hmm. but then I didn't want to be a part of, you know, the epidemic of obesity, of, of yeah. the epidemic of obesity, right? Um, and, you know, being the lead, you know, contributing to kids, you know, uh, poor health. So that's when I decided gyms. And also the business fundamentals made sense for me. Um, it's a cashless business. Mm -hmm. It's all direct debit. And the feeling of the POS system, the feeling of when you go and buy something and you have to actually hand over money, people don't have that, right? Because it just comes out of their credit card. It's a subscription business. So there's no fee there's no feeling of buyer's remorse. It's cashless business, like I said, no one's stealing money. Mm -hmm. um, low staff. So even if my staff members are sick, we're still open for business. Everyone's got a key to the door. Um, there's no perishables. You don't need to buy milk, buy cheese, buy bread. You know, it's a service-based business. So it just really made sense to me that it's an easy business to run. So, I, you know, and I, when I first started, when I first opened my first gym, if I show you a photo, which I actually showed a friend of mine a photo the other day, you couldn't believe it's me. I was fat. Like I was in a relationship seven years, six years, let myself go. wasn't really hitting the gym. I'd, my friends would call me saying, where are you? And I'd say, I'm, I'm at the gym. They'll say, working out or like working? And I was like, what do you think? Of course I'm not working out. Um, so I was like, people would come to the first opening and go, who's the owner? That's the owner there. <laughs> they couldn't believe it. Like that, that fat guy, he's yeah. the owner. So I, I guess how it started with the gyms is I really, I really like the business fundamentals, but we have to go before that. Um, I started uh, an insurance services business, which okay. became the biggest in our city and the uh, biggest in our state, actually, in Australia. And that was the business that allowed me to do the other ventures that I've done since then in the different industries. You're right. Okay. Would you say that the insurance business is good for cash flow? Then you can take that cash and you've easily been able to raise the capital then to go into the gyms and stuff. 100%. I mean, okay. the most profitable gym I have 
does a monthly revenue of a hundred thousand dollars, mm-hmm. right? But the insurance company does five hundred thousand a week. Doesn't compare, you know. So there's different industries, you know, different industries run on different volumes of revenue. So if it wasn't for the insurance company that I started, everything else wouldn't have been possible. What made you think that you didn't want to scale the insurance company then? Because what I understand from that is, you know, the gyms make good money, but the insurance company makes really good money. Isn't there an opportunity to potentially scale that out? And what what made you think, okay, I'll actually just go into gyms instead? The only way to scale up the insurance services business is if we move interstate, because Mm -hmm. we're already the biggest in our state. So we would have to move to different states of Australia, which means okay. one of me and all my business partner, one of us has to move. Then the amount of headache and stress that we went through to set this business up, we got sued after three weeks of being in business and we nearly went bankrupt. Like we had about $200,000 in the account and we had you know eight, nine staff and we got sued after three weeks. And, uh, and, we just, and, and the person that sued us was a billion dollar company. And obviously, if everyone's if anyone's been to court and knows uh, how the legal system works, it's not about who's right; it's about who's got more money because they can keep pushing the dates back to keep True. to keep draining your cash flow to suffocate that business and obtain market share again. So we had to then uh, dig in our pockets again and put in more money and more money, and then uh, kind of. Give, so when we went to court with them, this is a billion dollar corporation; they have yeah. fourteen lawyers. It was, a very, it was so much of a David versus Goliath story. When we went to the court, we said, listen, we can't fight. What do you want? <laughs> okay, we want this, this, this. Okay, done. And that itself is a can whole... You, can you go into the details course, around yeah. what it was? Or is, it, is that fine to disclose? It's a great story, actually. Okay, yeah. yeah. Often when you have multinational companies, the CEOs and directors often f- neglect the little cities. So they're mostly in the Sydneys and the Melbournes and they're having champagne lunches and flying private jets. <clears throat> they don't really care about small city Perth. Which is where I'm from. So what happens with these CEOs that neglect small cities, because they're too busy having champagne lunches and flying around private jets, they often neglect the small cities. Mm -hmm. And what, what what that leads to is the individuals within the business have the relationship with the referrers rather than the actual business owning it. So if you remove the individuals within the business, the business will flow with them. So they were very unhappy and they wanted us to um, set up our own company and they wanted to come on board. So we gave them 10% profit share each, those three of them. And uh, the last person to leave the company and to come over to us, he was the manager of the business. And he didn't delete the messages on his phone. So when he gave his phone back, all Mm. the messages were still there. So we got sued straight away. After three weeks of being in business. So he gave the phone back to the previous company that he had worked for. Yeah. So you were you a part of that insurance company as well then? No. No. Okay. No. They we we had a relationship with them. They approached us about setting up a local uh branch. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, a local brand instead of instead of Was this on WhatsApp, was it? <clears throat> oh, no. Text message. Just on text, okay. Text, yeah. So then we got sued after three weeks of being in business, right? And uh, they sued us and they said, we said, look, we don't, we don't have money like you guys. They sued us in Sydney, by the way. So we had to fly to Sydney to go to court. And we said, we, we obviously don't have money to fight you guys. What do you want? Fire everyone. We fight everyone. And those people that were fired got barred from the industry. One of them is a bartender now. And uh, the business kept flowing to them. And they mm. would say, don't, business, don't send business to the previous company. They really like messed with us. They really fucked with us, right? Like mm. they've bought us from the industry, but go to these guys because they had our back. So we got all that business 
for free. Just because of the reputational implications of them trying to go after you being such a small company. Well, I mean, the individuals that received the business were barred from the industry. So okay. when, the, when the business kept flowing to them, they would direct the business to us rather than their previous company okay. that barred them from the industry. Okay, understood. So we got extremely lucky. So we got all that business for free. Being, being, um, it's, it's, like the, it's like the Chinese farmer story, you know, when he says maybe. Mm. Have I, I haven't heard of that either. There's, a, there's an ancient Chinese proverb where mm. there's, a, uh, there's a Chinese farmer and one day all his, all his horses run away and everyone from the village comes to him and says, so sorry that happened to you, that must suck. He said, maybe. The next day all the horses came back and everyone came back to celebrate saying, oh, that's such good news that your horses came back. He said, maybe. The next day his son gets on the horse, falls, on, you know, falls off the horse and breaks his leg and everyone from the village comes and says, oh, such a tragedy that happened to your son. He said, maybe. And then China the following day went to war and they came and the, the soldiers came to get everyone who's ready and available to go to war and his son had a broken leg. So the, the story to it is you don't know something that's bad is happening to you. You don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Us getting sued was the best thing. We were able to keep 30% profit share and get all the business for free. Then they sued us for 300000 They said, okay, you fight everyone? Yeah, good. Okay, we want 300000 We said, why 300000 They said, because... Uh, we've lost 300,000. And I said, well, we haven't made 300,000. The negotiation went back and forth. And at this point, his lawyers flew to Perth, our city, mm. to finalize like a, uh, an amount. Mm. And we got him down to 10,000. And From we, 300K to 10K. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, he fight, we fight everyone. So, so he thought that, you know, the damage is done. The other guys that were fired as well, weren't they meant to take a percent like equity in the company? Profit share. Oh, is it going to be a profit sharing? Yeah. And now they're okay. not in the business, so they can't get profit share. So it was an absolute win for you. A massive win. Huge win everywhere you look at it. <laughs> a huge win. I got very lucky. I got very lucky. And uh, there was a lot of lessons that I learned from it as well. And, you know, w when the lawyers were in our office and were having a meeting about the 10,000, we um, Instagrammed him. His name, I don't want to say his name, but he has three daughters. And we said to him, look, uh, you've got three daughters. You're a multimillionaire. You don't need 10 grand. How about we donate it to the kids' children's charity for, you know, kids suffering with cancer? And he went offline to think about it. And my business partner told his lawyers, he said, look how much of a piece of shit your boss is. Yeah. And he comes back online and he goes, no, we'll take the cash. And his lawyers were just trying to hide their smile. They put their head down smiling. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. What did, so, the, what did that whole journey teach you though? Because I like... That was your first business, right? So yeah. going into it and three weeks into that business and immediately being slapped with a fine is crazy in its own right. Mm. But then to fight it and then to come out with what you've just said is a, a hugely winning situation because not only do you not have to do the profit sharing, but these guys feel so hurt by their prior employer that they're going to now redirect all the business to you yeah. consequently. And you've got 300K down to 10K. Yeah. Would you say that having the right lawyers is really key in that instance? Did they play like a big role in ensuring that, you know, that that was the situation you ended up in or was it was it just luck, would you say? I think the lawyer thing is, um, you know, there's right and wrong, mm -hmm. right? The lawyer thing is good. You need to have a good lawyer, but it doesn't matter even if your lawyer is not that good. Because the judge said, listen, what you're suing them about is the spirit of capitalism, spirit of competition. So you can have a bad lawyer if, 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 if the case is clear. Mm. And they okay. know the case is clear and we have no case here. We're just going to drain their money. We're just going to keep suing them to, to drain their money. So I feel like 
you know, having a good lawyer is is good. But even if you don't, if your case is good, you they can have fifteen lawyers. Doesn't matter. Mm. You know, it's either you're gonna win. It's it got thrown out of court straight away. But we didn't want it to keep going, so we had to settle on it. But although we're gonna keep coming after us and draining our pocket. And I mean, we 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 took our <laughs> lawyers. Lawyers are a piece of shit. Uh, we we took our lawyers out for lunch to uh, to celebrate, and uh, we went back to the office and we got an invoice for the lunch. I'm scared to wave at my lawyer if I see him on the streets. If he sends me an invoice, <laughs> one of wave five hundred dirhams. Invoice for their time, or they paid for the lunch and they wanted to reinvest. No, we paid for the lunch. Okay, but for their time to sit with you for, so for their lunch. time to sit with us to have a drink and have have dinner and okay. celebrate. I think you should get Crimson Legal from DYP on the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. I will. It's in Australia though. I'm not sure if you have a branch there, but yeah, they will do soon. Okay. Um, one of the things that I find massively fascinating with you is that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, they go on their journey and they, they want everybody to know, this is what I do. I have all these things and I'm working super hard with you. It's the complete opposite. Whereas I feel like you have no ego when it comes to doing business and you never moan about being busy. So like one of the things that I really aspire to the way that you operate is you always have like this really calm nature about you, but you've got all these things going on. And my conclusion is that I think it's down to one, it's your personality, but two, you must find it really easy to find the right people to do the right job. Um, I guess, firstly, would you say that that second point is true, that you you do find the right people to do the right job? And what how have you got to that situation if that is the case? It hasn't been easy. Um, I was recently dating a girl and she said to me, I just love that you just have no ego. Like I can just tell you anything. I can tell you... Like you do something wrong. If I told that to my ex-boyfriend, he would go crazy. What about you? Blah, blah, blah. And for me, for you, you just kind of take it in. And I feel like it's because at heart, I'm a hippie. Mm. At heart, I'm just chilled. I'm relaxed. Like I don't want to. I believe like this is the line of life, mm-hmm. right? You have positive and you have negative, right? I think the secret to life is to be as close as possible to that middle line, mm-hmm. right? Because you have your keep your highs low and keep your lows high, right? If you don't want to, I've got people in. I know friends that in are in really toxic relationships, and it's because of them. And uh, when it's a low, when she does something wrong, he grabs that line and he drags it down. And what you do when you drag it down, you get to the trauma level. And people don't remember memories, they remember emotion. Mm-hmm. So they'll remember that day on this day on that couch. You said this to me, and I'm traumatized by that. So it's all about not keeping the highs too high, not keeping the lows too low. Just keeping it, you know, kind of stable. Flexing an ego and stuff like that is just not my character. Yeah. You know, and uh, and to be honest with you, I also feel like, yes, I went through a lot to, you know, getting sued. And then obviously the next businesses, that was stressful too. They all have, each business that I did has its own story. But I lost all my hair. Like, like it was stressful. You, you had hair at one point. Believe it or not, I wasn't born. <laughs> born, like, born. <laughs> Do you think but, that is genuinely consequential to the work and the stress that you endured? No, nah, setting up not at all. It's genetic. Oh, it's nah, no, no, okay, no, okay. Yeah, it's okay, uh, I was like, my guy is going to lie to me on camera here. Yeah. No, 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 not at all. Um, but I feel like for the amount of pressure and stress that I went through for the life that I live now, it, I, I didn't pay enough dues. Mm. I feel like I'm so blessed where I can live this life and... Maybe I put in four hard years of work. Like I listened to a song the other day, like uh, it was like a T-Pain song, not the other day, like a year ago. And I was like, man, this is a really good song. When did T-Pain come out with this? And they're like, this was released like five years ago. 
and I, and I tracked it back when it was released. That was when I was setting up the insurance company. Mm. And I had no time for anything, no music, no movies, nothing. So there was like a song that just went over my head that I'm discovering five years later. Okay. But that's because I was locked away from home to the office. And the office was like next, we, we, we got our office close to my house. So I would just be going back and forth constantly. Yeah, and I guess one one of the main things that you we were discussing is like how you don't have an ego and stuff, right? And, and and I completely agree with everything that you've said, and that's why I think you're a really good person to be around. But the second point is identifying people that are right for the job, and something that I think that's really hard for a startup, particularly, is you're so cash constrained when you're starting a business every expense has to be managed so carefully. One of the biggest costs that any business owner can have is salaries and managing that is so key, right? Mm-hmm. And you try and weigh up the risk to the reward when you're employing somebody. And I think in Dubai particularly, you have the, this situation where everybody wants to move here. Mm-hmm. And I've never, I don't think if you've ever seen on LinkedIn, if you post a job in like finance or legal, it says posted two hours ago and it'll have 2000 applications on wow. it. So as a recruiter, you have 2,000 applications and you have to go through all this stuff. So one of the key things that I think for you in terms of like this, the, the scale that you've grown at from the insurance company to having a conglomerate basically of businesses is you've hired a lot of people on that journey. And I would just, in, in kind of your own words, what is kind of, is there a formula that you look for when you're recruiting people? Because I know a lot of people will be like, if they've got the right personality, they don't really look at grades, they look at that individual on a personal level. Is that something that you've tried to set from the beginning? And then how do you pass that ethos off onto somebody else in the business that's now doing the recruiting on your behalf because they're now handling one of the biggest expenses for your business? Mm. It's not a simple answer, right? It's not like a simple, this is what I do and that's it, right? It really have to be in your intuition. Right. When we moved, when, uh, when when my parents moved to Australia when I was five years old, I spoke no English. Right. I used to, uh, I went to year one and I had spoke no, I, I used to go to the girls' bathrooms because I needed to go to the bathroom and people would yell at me. And I'm like, well, what are you guys yelling at me in a different language for? Like, I had to and go to the bathroom. And he still does that to this day. <laughs> <laughs> and I claim I don't speak the language. Um, so I think at that young age, I really learned how to use my intuition right? Body language. I know when one of my staff is going to quit two months before they quit, they're disengaged. When I tell them ideas, they're not excited. They don't come to me with ideas. Like, oh yeah, cool. Good idea. Okay. He's going to leave. Mental note. Right. But I also, before it gets to that point, I always tell my staff like, are you having a good time? Are you having fun? Like, yeah, yeah. That's like, no, be honest with me. Are you having a good time? Because if you're not going to have a good time, you're not going to be here long. Mm. So I, I want to make sure if everything's good with you so we can have a long, you know, working relationship. Also something that I find that everyone interviews well, Everyone interviews well. You, I'll have an interview with anyone. Okay, yeah, you're perfect for the job, right? Um, it's just about giving him a go. Give it a go. See how it goes. But for me, mostly everything, most of the things are teachable. Let's mm-hmm. say for the gyms. Let's say for the insurance company. We have CRMs that we can teach. We have someone experienced sits with you for a week, teaches you everything. It's about your vibe. Mm-hmm. It's about if it gets tough, will you push through? If you don't have an answer, will you ask? Or is your ego too fragile to ask the question of, you know, I don't want them to think I don't know what I'm doing. Transparency is important. Trust is important. And a lot of the people that work for us now, they're on such a friendship level that it's like if they quit, it's like more of a kind of they're leaving the family. Even though they're not, we're still friends and everything. But, you know, we're not going to see them as much as we we would. So with hiring, it's, 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 not, a, it's not a simple answer. It's 
bit complex and we've gone through a lot um, of, of staff. It's so when you're doing the recruiting and stuff like you say that everybody excels at an interview, but like how do you, when you're recruiting someone, is there a way that you can manage the, the kind of cost risk? How do you manage that risk? Because you know somebody's going to come in and excel the interview because they've prepared really hard for it and they know what the answers you're looking for. They come in and then maybe they've done two or three months with you and they're not the right person. How do you manage that? Are you, are you Do you have like in your mind, are you saying maybe give them some time? Or when you're so bootstrapped, it's like, damn, every month that goes past their salary, you might be in a, I know a lot of startup founders that pay their employees a lot more than they pay themselves. And mm. That's not uncommon. Mm. And people are like, I want to start my own business. It's going to, I'm mm. going to make so much more money. Um, I'll go on to something else after, but just on that question, is there a way that you kind of manage that at the beginning when you're starting out a business and you don't want to just bleed money on the wrong person? Quick to fire. I'm so quick to fire. Okay. Because it's poison. You know, if you hang out with lazy people, it's contagious. You're going to become lazy. Same thing. If I've got someone negative in the team, it's contagious. Quick to fire. Slow to hire. Take your time in hiring. Look at everyone, but quick to hire. Because that the amount of damage that that could do to your business, it's like a disease. Okay. Everyone can catch it. You know, Because if she's not doing her job right, that means somebody else is doing one and a half times their job because they're carrying that person's slack. Then that person mm. gets burnt out and doesn't give a fuck. I don't, I don't want to be here. Like I'm getting paid way, I'm doing too much work for how much I get paid. Of course you're doing too much work for how much you get paid because you're doing half her job too. Mm. Quick to fire. And have you seen that? Is there a specific business that you run where you've seen that more so? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story. Uh, we were fitting out our seventh gym and a buddy of mine was kind of financially struggling and I wanted to help him out. And I said to him, listen, come paint the walls. You know, we've got a gym. I've got the, I'll, I'll buy the gun. I'll buy the paint. You just come and paint the walls. Like, give me three coats. Cool. And we had a lady that paints uh, like minions and cartoon characters in the creche for the kids, right? So she's there doing this and, and drawing. And she was charging, she, she, she didn't tell us how much she was going to charge us. She said, oh, I'll do it at a good price if you let me put my name on the bottom and whatever. Yeah, sure, no worries. And then uh, she was doing her thing and our manager for the gym, for that particular gym that we just hired. So she actually hasn't started work, but we had her on payroll for two weeks before we opened the gym just so she can, this is going to be her house. Mm. You want to tell people where the cabinetry is going to be and everything like that. So she went to the girl that's painting and goes, how much are you charging for those minions? Uh, she goes, oh, it's not much of work. It's about probably 1500 Aussie dollars. She goes, nah, charge him more than that. The owner wears a Rolex. We'll charge him three grand. And the buddy of mine that was painting overheard it. Mm. So he calls me going, that manager, you need to be careful of it. That's what she said. Fire the next day. Denied it. Deny, deny, deny. And I was like, doesn't matter. Do you feel in your life that you have this good fortune? I, I, I've been around you for quite a while. Mm. And a lot of things that you say is you're quite fortunate in the things that happen to you. Obviously along the journey, obviously bad things happen, but stuff like that, you know, it's just like you're getting these signs is boom, done, easy. I feel like I'm so lucky. Mm. I'm so lucky. I'm probably one of the luckiest people in the world. I don't know how, like I was born in Iran. I moved, I moved to Australia. Well, my parents moved to Australia when I was five. I see my cousins and I'm thinking, shit, that could have been me. And I think also, uh, I also think you make your own luck, right? Like you... You have to be prepared. 
You have to be prepared. And wh- where I get the fire from is like my parents leaving their home country. That they know everything about. They know the system. They know everything. They know how to make money. And they've gone to a new country that they know nothing about for a better future for me. The, the, the most disrespectful thing I could do is to piss in that opportunity away, right? Now my mm. whole family's on payroll. I pay my sister, my mom, and my dad. Um, but I have to do that because they left everything. My, dis- my sister didn't do shit, but she's, she's dead weight. But, <laughs> but, but we love her. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I had to repay them for doing that. But honestly, I, I feel like there's a higher power. I feel like I'm not at the wheel. There's a higher power at the wheel. That's why for me, people, there's a lot of people that stress. Mm. No, it's not going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. That's, if that happens and this happens, the reviews go down, it's not going to be okay. And I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? You want to have a panic attack? Let's have a panic attack. Like, what do you want to do? There's nothing you can do. You're not at the wheel, right? Yeah. Let it go. It is what it is. The more you think about it, the more energy you give it, right? Listen, I can sit with you right now and I can think of two scenarios with every single business that I have. I can think of a negative scenario and I can think of a positive scenario. We, we, we had someone that lost a thumb like two weeks ago at the gym, right? But we've got insurance that covers it and stuff. He was negligent as well. He, mm. he, um, yeah, he was negligent. He shouldn't have done what he did. But uh, I could think, okay, he's going to go to the news. He's going to do this and then we're going to do this and we're, we're, and then we're, we're going to shut us down and this and that, right? Or I could also go, well, this is going to happen. And we're gonna, I can put a positive scenario and a negative scenario. So I can freak out and have a panic attack or I can stay positive. You choose, mm. right? And there's people that decide to go panic attack, panic mode. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh my God. It's like, relax. Yeah. Who cares? Your health is number one. I think um, Andrew Tate had a, it was like one of his podcasts or something. It was the thing that he thinks that decides the success of a man in the most is how he handles stress. And mm. you are like a case study of that. I was just looking at your forehead while she was talking about like, Damn, I've aged 20 years faster than this man. <laughs> I need to embody that value. I just don't stress. I yeah. don't stress. That's uh, definitely a good quality. But one of the things that I wanted it, to touch on there... It actually pisses my business partners off because they stress and they see me not stressing. But isn't that good to have you in the fold then? Because there's two other guys, isn't it? And are they involved in all the other businesses? No, 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 no. Okay. Because they, they didn't want to do gyms with me. Um, so I did gyms uh, separately. Okay. Um, the, the other ventures, ice cream shop, they didn't want to do. We, we also have a karaoke bar that we do together. Um, but yeah, uh, look, the offer's there, but they, they didn't want to do it. So okay. Does a karaoke bar make any money? Of course, yeah. yeah. yeah it does okay. It does. Okay. Like, oh, look, what are you going to compare it to? The insurance company? No. Yeah. Right? But um, it, it's, it's probably in, makes enough money as three gyms. So one karaoke bar is as much as three gyms. Yeah. And what's the occupancy how do you measure it with uh with gyms like the is it occupancy that mm. you use the percentage like where do you kind of hover around all of them is different right they're okay. all different but um but you know it depends on the size and the and the rent right because you have fixed costs your fixed costs your staff doesn't matter if yeah. i do a three thousand square meter gym or if i do a one thousand square meter gym i'm gonna need one manager i'm not gonna need two managers right so there are some fixed costs but the 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 thing that's variable is the rent is a square meter rate right so for this gym which is 2000 square meters i must reach a thousand members to break even mm-hmm. for this gym at 500 square meters i must reach i must reach 400 members to break even and with gyms it's funny because you need to have enough money in your account to be able to fund the you know fund everything the staff wages the insurance the loan repayments the rents until you hit that number 
So, you know, if I set up a coffee shop, I can have zero dollars in my account right now because when we open, the staff aren't getting paid for another two weeks and we've got revenue generating straight away. People are buying coffee straight away, right? Mm. With the gyms, it's not like that. You need to have some surplus funds sitting there to fund the operation until you hit your break-even numbers, which typically takes around four to six months. I quite like that business model though because it's once you reach that, you've got a clear goal in your mind. Mm. It's like you know exactly where you're going to break even. It's not, it's not um, subjective. It's completely objective. Once you hit that 500 members, it's then profit from there on out. And you can, and it's a really interesting model because, as you said, it doesn't require that many people to run a gym in kind of the modern day. Because if you go to any gym, you don't. It's quite hard sometimes to see staff like the gyms that I go to. Sometimes I'm like, who actually works here? Yeah, I'm like looking around. Like, yeah. is, there, is anyone work here? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. crazy. It's beautiful. Do you do the 24 seven model? Do you use like, a, do you have a mobile application? Do you use the pin code on the door? How do you manage all of that then? Um, it's a 24 hour model. Everyone's mm-hmm. got a fob. Um, if you don't have, if you lose your fob, um, then we have a little pin code, like a punch code thing on the door. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. One of the interesting things that I always consider is how do you stop someone from sharing the fob and the pin? How do you, do you manage that? We have a thing called a tailgate system okay. where it has a sensor. When you tag yourself in, it senses one person going in. But if two people come in, then it puts a bookmark in the system on the CRM that this person last night tagged in and three mm. people came behind him without tagging. That's when we call this guy saying, hey, what happened? He'll go, oh, mate, uh, I don't know who they were. They were looking for their fob, but because I opened it and it was raining outside, they just walked in. Okay, cool. No worries. But if, okay. and then we look at the camera, but if he's like, yeah, sorry, I won't do it again. My buddies wanted to come in and check it out, you know? So that's, that's how it works. What CRM system do you use then? It's called Gym Master. Okay. And does that email trigger automatically off the tailgating or do you, do you just get an alert? Then you check the camera, then you send the email. Oh. I don't do anything. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like like but, it, it, it goes on the CRM okay. and when the staff member comes in in the morning, she logs into the CRM because you have to, to sign members or whatever. Uh, she sees the notifications. Uh, then she will manually type the emails if it's required. She after checking will the CCTV. manually pick up the phone and call them. Okay, okay. And like, this is the interesting bit, right? About putting the systems in place for all these businesses so yeah. that you can move on to whatever next venture you want to do. Because last time I saw you, I, I don't know if you want to mention it now, but you were speaking about another business opportunity that you're looking at. And I think that's a really good business and i'm like how the hell does this guy have enough time yeah when he's running all these different businesses yeah so if i'm sitting with someone doing a business deal right Mm. and they go okay you know i've been in meetings where i've put the syndicate together and then we've went and sat down in front of the developer who's going to build it right and he says okay what do you do and he'll say i've i'm the license holder and what do you do i'm the builder and what do you do and i'm like i put it all together i uh i like if I'm, if I'm doing a business and I have to play an active role in the business, I'm not doing it. There's just a scale, right? There's a scale of time and money, right? The more time you put in, the more money you'll make because then you play an active role in the business. So you draw a salary, right? I don't. I play zero time. I just rely on dividends. That's it. And what happens is that gives me the freedom to do more business, right? To do more ventures. And, and that's to me is retirement. I feel like I'm already retired, even though I'm working, but I can't imagine not working, right? Mm. Um, so if I have to play an active role in a business that I'm putting together, then it's not for me and I walk away. 
but I have to... Do you therefore give away a lot of equity in some of these companies to make sure that they're motivated enough to drive that dividend to you at the end of the year and they feel like, you know, they're getting rewarded as well? Well, you know, the thing is, typically the deals that I've done have, have been with people that haven't been in business. So I've taken them out of business because they have a unique skill set that I need to put something together. Mm. So they're almost like kids. They're mm. almost like dad hold my hand mm -hmm. so i'm just taking their hand and i'm showing them how to do it it's not like they don't need the motivation because they're just constantly learning mm. right and uh so for me i haven't had that issue do you retain 100 percent of a lot of these other ventures no not at all no if i have business partners i can't have that no not at all okay. but what the gyms though did you take I, any funding or anything for that? No. no uh and i'm fully uh like i'm i'm so like i'm so fair like i'm so like even though i could have been like because I know everything, I know I've got the contacts, and I'm putting the money that I need this much percent. Nah, no, just literally goes three of us, thirty three each. Okay, yeah, that's really good. One of the things that you touched on there that I haven't even uh, spoken to you about is like that when you said the first five years you spent in Iran and then your parents left. I think that's quite interesting. Mm. So, kind of, what situation were you in in Iran between you know before the age of five, and what led your parents to actually moving out of Iran? I don't know. I mean like my parents have a good life in Iran thankfully like um you know when they say and I know my dad's not gonna watch this because my dad doesn't know how to turn on YouTube uh, <laughs> but you know they say like 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 strong men lead to weak men it will create you yeah. know easy times easy times create weak men weak men create tough times tough times create strong men my granddad was very wealthy and he created easy times so my dad was kind of like a spoiled kid and, uh, and you know, my, my dad's got a very easy life in Iran. And um, for him to leave, he left for me. So there's more opportunity uh, elsewhere. So now he, he, he's, he lives back in Iran, right? So he's moved back there. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, I guess the, they, they left because of me. But I think for him, uh, Iran's always kind of been home and an easier life. So he's gone back there now. I don't know if that was the answer question you asked. No, no, I didn't expect you to say that because usually when you think about somebody that's as successful as you, maybe they've got a chip on their shoulder, but you're kind of very unique character in that sense. It doesn't seem to be a chip on the shoulder as much. It's just, I don't know. It's just that you were so motivated to do it and you found like a really good channel in each of these businesses. Because if you think about it, you're in very different business models. And, mm -hmm. I know, and I know you said at the beginning that business fundamentals never change. And I completely agree with you because having been inside so many different businesses, and Hormozy speaks about it all the time. If you want to double your business, double your leads. And stuff like mm -hmm. that is just, if you have like, and I think he, he speaks first about the, the offer, right? And all the making sure the business is right. If the business is right and you've proven that people are prepared to pay for it. So when you start the gyms, for example, you have the pricing model, you've done the gym, you've done your research. And I've seen videos of your gym, really cool, looks really nice. You've proven that people are prepared to pay, right? And the only reason that you're not scaling is you're not reaching the right audience at the right scale. And I think that's like the fundamentals that I'm starting to learn now in terms of getting the leads in the right place, making sure the business is structured in the right way, that it is scalable, that the foundations are right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like when I asked you that, I wasn't definitely not expecting you to say that. Yeah, my, my granddad was wealthy, my dad had an easy life, so I was just, he just moved there. Yeah, that's really the story. I mean, uh, he didn't really need to move there. Like we weren't running away from a war or something like that. I mean, there was okay. war, but it was we weren't really running away. He, he had a nice little house uh, with like a big backyard. Like it was like on the base of a mountain. So mm -hmm. he like overlooked the city and like it was kind of out of all the hustling and bustling and okay. whatever. 
So um, he still lives there and it's like beautiful. I love going there. Um, you, reta- you kept the house but moved to Australia? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, how, yeah. and how many years did he stay in Australia for? 20. You stayed for 20? 20, yeah. And then as soon as I'm on my feet and he's seen the businesses and everything, he moved back. That's so yeah. selfless. I've, You know, a lot of people yeah. say that they have like a weird relationship with their father, but for yeah. him to just leave yeah. Iran and spend two decades in a, in a new country. And I pay him 1800 a week in salary. US dollars. But he doesn't do anything for doesn't you. Do anything. But listen, he deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. He deserves it. I look at it as he went and did 20 years in prison. <laughs> Wait, yeah. Is Australia that bad? <laughs> <laughs> listen, when I went to London, I, I realized something. Uh, when I was in Australia, I just didn't... I had a group of friends, great, great guys. One of them's getting married in two weeks. I'm, I'm going to Melbourne for his wedding. Um, we, we had good times. Like we, we obviously we, we had this thing called the Turkey council and he was the chief and the guys that's getting married and he would like, you know, he would uh, make people have shots of Turkey uh, while, while Turkey. Cause he's the chief. Anyways, he had like a Turkey hat on, but anyways, I just never, like, it was fun when we're all together. It's fun. But when we go out, it just, the vibe wasn't for me or I don't know what it was, but I just wasn't 100% fitting in. And I didn't know what it was. And I'm thinking to myself, why is this fun for you guys? And when I went to London, I, you know, I stayed at the W in Chinatown, which is like where all the nightlife is, right? Do you know what that is in Chinatown area? Yeah, I don't know where the okay. W is. I know the Chinatown area. It's like in front of Lego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, yeah. Anyways, and, uh, and I seen all these people were drinking outside. Like it was raining and people were like drinking beer outside on the streets, like literally like lined up around the building just talking. And I'm like, do you guys not have shit to do? <laughs> do you guys not have shit to do? Like what the fuck are you guys doing? Just lying around. Talking about what? Talking about, oh, this new guy started at work. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, fuck him, blah, 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 blah. What the fuck are you guys doing? Wasting your time. Like I was, I was looking at them going, do something with your life. You don't have time. Mm. In, a, in a world where we have Instagram and everyone's comparing and you know, you're losing. Mm. You need to start leveling up and just standing around while it's raining with a coat on and drinking beer and not enjoying it. Your socks are wet. What are you doing? I didn't get it. And it made me re- I love remember. That. It made me remember when I was in Australia and like they would just go out. And my mum used to always say to me, "Why are you having nights that you don't even remember?" Wasting. And, and and he here in Dubai, it's not that. Like we, don't, I don't need to drink here to have fun. I can go out sober and have a good time. In in Australia, you have to get drunk because everyone's mm. drunk. You can't be the only non-drunk person because you'd be like you're sweating and you smell. Don't come near me. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you're sloppy you're yelling in my ear and spitting in my face you kind of have to be drunk to be in the mist of completely agree with that and it's exact same in the uk and and i know you're going to agree with me now there'll be specific places in australia where your friends say you need at least 10 pints to be able to go inside that place and this and that became kind of just the theme of our nights out back in the uk and mm. that's one of the reasons i wanted to leave just before i left I was going out three or four times a week because I'd lost direction in my life. And it's very easy to slip back into complacency. I'd achieved what I set out to achieve by the time I was 24. I already bought the house. I was a chartered accountant. I had a call with my um, boss. He was like, you, you're on the fast track to director with UI. I was like, oh my, what, what am I gonna do? Just sit and coast in this job right now and then buy a, buy a bigger house, get the promotion, get the tiny increase in salary where and it's the weird thing in the corporate world. I don't know if you've ever experienced that everybody just compares salaries constantly. They're like, how much did you get paid? What was your bonus? And I, I just saw my life a decade from then. I knew exactly what it would be like. And 
I just started going out all the time and just partying because I didn't have anything else that was motivating me and everybody's always going out. So it was just easy to slip back into that, I think. Listen, I'm going to tell you something that you already know. The parties only get better as you get richer. What are you celebrating? True. What are you celebrating? Like there has to be a reason for you to go out and drink and celebrate. Going out with your friends and drinking and wasting time is not enough reason. Is being an entrepreneur glamorized? Is that something that you believe? And I, and I know there's a big push to escape the matrix, which we hear quite a lot in, in, uh, in, in the matrix. <laughs> we hear a lot in the matrix. Yeah. We hear a lot in Dubai. And I think there's a lot of people that want to be entre entrepreneurs. But then if you look even further afield, like, look in history, a lot of people would have to own their own businesses to survive. <laughs> you would just trade in whatever you had, whatever skills you had, whatever products you had. And I think over time, as capitalism has evolved and you kind of need slaves per se to run your businesses at scale, one of the things that I definitely think is that people have become so accustomed to the safety of a salary at the end of the month that they're scared to leave that safety net, right? But I do also think that some people aren't meant to be leaders. They're not meant to run their own companies, but feel forced into doing it and they're not a good fit. What's, what's kind of your opinion on that and how have you seen that evolve over time? You know, when, they, when, when there wasn't many, like let's say 20, 30 years ago, there wasn't many 24-hour gyms, right? When the first one came, extremely lucrative, right? <clears throat> Killed it. Now, then people caught on that it makes money and there's not much work to involve. Then over time, it became saturated. Now there's a gym on every corner, right? Literally in Australia, you've got gyms next to each other, right? So it became saturated and, and the, the margins, the, the profit is a lot less, right? That's the same thing that's happening with entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is glamorized and everyone's getting into it, even though they're not a fit for it. But over time, people will start going, listen, I make more money working at a job, a good corporate job that pays me whatever it is than to, I've got friends that have businesses that don't make much money and they've been doing it for seven years and I keep telling them, put a bullet in it, move to the next one, but they won't. I work so hard, seven years. So you're, you're telling me seven years for nothing? Well, it's going to be eight years for nothing. It's going to be nine years for nothing. Mm. You need to learn how to put a bullet in it. Some cost fallacy as an entrepreneur, it's so hard to walk away. And one of the things that I think is a massive challenge with running your own business is, and I'll take your advice on this, a lot of people see it as an extension of themselves. So their personality is wrapped up in that business. And so allowing it to fail or having it wind down because it's not succeeding is almost saying that, you know, it's saying publicly, isn't it, that you're a failure. And I don't know if I'm misquoting like the Japanese culture about failing in business. If you go, it's such a shame on your family. I do not show your face in kind of this, in this city, in this town, in this village ever again. And so they take it very seriously. And I think when you go out and set your own business, you're very much out there in the open, right? And taking a failure is huge. <laughs> it's a cost of doing business. Listen, I own 16 individual businesses. Okay. I own 16 individual businesses. I've shut down two. I've shut down businesses. I've lost money. I've shut down two businesses where I had to shut it down, got out the whole thing. My bad. We made a mistake. It's the cost of doing business. Mm. If you're scared of hot oil, don't become a chef. Yeah. I think a lot of people now are trying to go into different businesses and you know, it makes sense to when there's so much opportunity out there. And I, and I see a lot of these guys there, they, they aim for like the 10K dollars a month. I think that's, it was weird. When I was in the UK, it was 50,000 pounds a year was marked as success. Mm. In Dubai, there's this like 50,000 dirhams a month is marked mm. as success. 
in the kind of creative world, $10,000 a month is the success, right? Yeah. There's always like these subtle levels of success, but I think a lot of people are making $10,000 online very easily. There's always levels. Some people say that this isn't factual, but I do generally think it's hard to find an honest, authentic woman. It goes back to the fact that people move to Dubai for the lifestyle as opposed to raising a family. Mm. Whereas you compare it to somebody, I think, uh, quoting Saudi psychology, but she was saying that women will move to Paris or another city and they're, yeah. lo they're looking to establish themselves. But a lot of people do come here. And I think it's a vicious cycle that works both ways with men and women. Okay, I think we've got to wrap it up. But that was Radin. He's a DYP member. And yeah, I will be doing more. I think it's a really good opportunity to bring some of the quality members that we have inside DYP and really giving them a platform to show exactly their kind of qualities. Because one of the things that we have is a really good quality base within our membership. And 